Hi, and welcome to Breaking Bread, conversations about how food inspires the people that inspire us. Join me, Michelle Jobin, and my co-host, Jasmine Baker, as we share the stories of the most influential and sometimes infamous, yes, that too, chefs, producers, planners, farmers, tastemakers, bloggers, and hospitality icons. Together, we'll uncover the compelling stories of the people behind what we eat, drink, and enjoy. Hey there, it's Jasmine, and welcome back to Breaking Bread. Thanks for joining us. Michelle sat down with Craig Wong, chef and restaurateur of the celebrated restaurant Patois here in Toronto. Today, you'll learn about Craig's journey from one of the most prestigious culinary institutes in the world to working in Michelin-starred restaurants to returning back home to cook the kind of food he wanted to eat. Craig's story is one of deep connection to food, family, and great flavors. Now, over to Michelle and Craig. Welcome to Breaking Bread. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We are excited to have you on the podcast. And of course, uh, we're having uh, a little bit of a a technical blip in terms of Jasmine connecting right now. So we're just going to get going with the conversation. And, you know, the great thing is, is you and I have had a chance to chat about some of these things before. And that is the biggest reason why I really wanted you to be on our podcast, um, because I think your journey to where you are now in terms of the restaurant industry and being a chef is just incredible. Um, it's a great story and I love what you do. So we're really Thank happy you. that you're we're that really means happy. So much well, Oh, and same, same. So I guess I want to start out with what drew you to the restaurant industry and, you know, was there a particular person or moment or inspiration that said, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to become a chef and restaurateur. You know, for me, it's all about delicious food. And that was the thing that just, I, I wanted to eat delicious food all the time. I loved making it for myself. And then, um, like, my, my wife, like my girlfriend at the time, Ivy, uh, she's the one that actually taught me how to cook in the beginning. Amazing. She's the one, like, my parents raised me with well-done steaks. They raised me with, you know, like, fish cooked all the way through until you can like see the grains and stuff you know so um ivy taught me what it was like to to get uh like perfectly cooked vegetables and and uh what like raw fish would taste like you know so um i gotta give it up to her she's the one that started it but uh like it was always the pursuit of delicious food and feeding other people as well that's great. I love, and I love Ivy's involvement in this. And I know your relationship spans a long time and it's wonderful. And uh, it's one that I, I think is just so wonderful and loving, but I think that's great. And yeah. I wanted to establish sort of what you do now. Uh, talk about your restaurant a little bit so we can then backtrack to sort of how you started your culinary journey. So tell us oh. about your restaurant Patois and, and what we need to know about it. So Patois is really a reflection of my background and like it's, I'm, I consider myself a storyteller and um, Patois for me really is, uh, you know, the culmination of my career in fine dining French cuisine, uh, working in three Michelin starred restaurants and always respecting the techniques. Um, but myself, like I'm a pretty chill guy. I like, I like hip hop. I like reggae. You know, I like like really tasty things and, and uh, you'll, you'll probably catch me eating Things like uh, like jerk chicken or roti, or you know, you'll probably find me eating fried rice more often than you'll find me eating uh, like uh, you know fine dining French cuisine. I always respected like all different types of cuisine, 
And it just made sense to me to, to bring some of my background into what we're doing, bring some of that flavor and some of that spice and those different textures. And, and you know, it's um, a, mixing the cuisines always just made sense to me. And I always found that if, uh, you know, if there was somebody that just stuck to one single type of cuisine, it's almost like you're, you're uh, doing yourself a disservice by just ignoring all the rest of them. So I bring all the best ideas that I can, regardless of what cuisine it comes from, and I amalgamate that into um, a cuisine that's true to myself. I love that. And I, I, you know, when Jasmine and I were talking about this, um, one of the things I said is, you know, the story of your culinary journey and the flavors that you brought with yeah. you into Patois, there's something to me that is quintessentially Toronto and Canadian about that. I always think about the tradition of the, the dish and I research the tradition of the dish um, so that I understand it better and I know where people have come from, what they're trying to achieve. And I try to travel a lot as well. And, and I, I try to really delve into the cuisines. It's never just, um, you know, like taking an idea and, and, and bridging that for the sake of it. It's more because it just feels true to me. I love that. And yeah. just for a little a bit of context, um, and you said sort of, when we talk about Patois, we're looking at, you're obviously of Chinese descent, yeah. you're of Chinese heritage, but there is a throughway through Jamaica. So can you talk a little bit about that, about your family's heritage? Sure. We go back three generations to Jamaica. So, I mean, that's over a hundred years of history oh, yeah. that uh, my family has lived in Jamaica. Still have a ton of family that live there right now. And uh, one of the coolest parts is that every time I go and visit, I try to go once or twice a year. Um, my cousins show me around to the newest spots, the coolest new places, and it's really fun. I get to to see them, and and uh, it's people that I grew up with, you know, and and yeah, they, they, it's a, it's a culture that's ingrained into us. And then you were born here in Scarborough. Your parents yeah. uh, came to Canada before before you were born, and then from all of that history and lineage, we arrive at your restaurant now, Patois. <laughs> Uh, and you talked about how you made the decision sort of based on the encouragement from your incredible wife, Ivy, then girlfriend, to sort of pursue a career in the culinary world. And then you just, you sort of did this in a major way. You, yeah. you studied at one of the most prestigious culinary in institutes in the world. Yeah. So let's talk about that and why your decision was to go there. So I went to L'Institut Paul Bocuse. Um, my yeah. parents sent me to French school when I was a kid, and like I, I hated them for that, you know. But they they always told me French is going to come in handy, and French is something that's going to be uh, like helpful to to me in my career. And like my dad, he went to McGill, um, mm -hmm. so he always uh, like wanted me to to learn French as well. Um, same for my sister, and you know, it really helped to me to understand when I was in Paris, when I was in Lyon, it helped me with my training because things move fast over there and we're not patient people in the kitchen. So it's either you, you, uh, you pick it up or you don't. And it really helped me to excel. Um, it's something that I, I, uh, you know, am passing on to my sons because I'm going to be sending them to, uh, to, to Mandarin school as well too. So, um, it's, it, it's one of those things where everyone always wants to, you know, make the generation better in their eyes. 
I and I relate to that obviously because our son, my old, my son and your oldest go to school together at a Mandarin language school. So I totally get that. So this is this is the second time in our podcast where we've had a like things your parents want to do. Maybe you should listen to them exactly because <laughs> there's a reason. Afram Pristine also talked about that a little bit as well. So you go to Publicus, uh, Institute for Publicus. Tell us about that experience. It was amazing. You know, there, I went at a time in the early 2000s, like 2002, 2003. Um, like I, I, I was there for three years. Um, but there was not a lot of information about three Michelin starred restaurants on the internet or, you know, in, in books. And you kind of had to go there at that time. There was no such thing as Instagram at that time. Um, so I knew where I wanted to go and I knew where I wanted to end up. And it seemed to be um, a great way to get my foot in the door and to take in all the culture. Uh, so I spent uh, a good amount of time, long distance relationship with my, with my, my girlfriend, my wife at the time. Oh, <laughs> but, that was a tough one. That was a tough one, but um, I'm, I'm so happy I did it. It was a, a very difficult experience, uh, you know, just being away from home, being young and, uh, you know, not knowing for certainty where this is going to lead, but just knowing that in the future, it's going to pay dividends. And um, I, I love the, I love the techniques that I learned. I love the culture that it exposed me to, and it really helped to form me as a, as an adult as well too. So you graduate with this wealth of culinary knowledge after your three years. And now what, what, what was the next step in your journey? So I knew that I, I was, I was doing a decent job cooking other people's food and I was happy, you know, like cooking for many chefs in Toronto. Um, but I knew that I had a story to tell. I had my own story to tell. I knew that the ideas that I was coming up with were, were things that, you know, are not mainstream are things that people haven't really uh, explored before, especially just having a very unique background um, and having this exposure to being a North American kid that, loves things like shawarma and souvlaki and sushi and Indian food. And, and I said to myself, you know, there has to be more people than just me that loves all these different things. And to just focus on one area of that um, didn't make a lot of sense to me. So when I opened up Hatsua, I knew it was going to be a pushback of people that are like, this is not traditional. This is not what, you know, we, we are, that we're accustomed to, but I like that. <laughs> I, I like it a lot too. And yeah. I think you make a great point about Toronto. We're kind of spoiled for choice here in the best way possible. Uh, and that sort of makes us what we are. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's, you know, I, I think back to, you know, maybe 2008 and 2009 and this, especially like this word authenticity started getting, you know, really sort of True. bantered back and forth a lot. And, but the question is, you know, what is authenticity? And I think, you know, whatever is truth yes. is authenticity. And I don't think there's one particular definition of what authentic is. So what you're doing is authentic to you. Absolutely. And, and don't forget, like Neapolitan pizza at one time was not authentic and somebody had to like do some groundbreaking work. You know, exactly. just because it's uh, authentic now, um, it doesn't mean that when somebody was creating it, it wasn't uh, you know, something that was uh, like frowned upon too. So uh, you get to the point, and did you, did you cook in London as well? Or yeah. In England? Yeah. yeah. So where, I, before you came back to Canada? Yeah, I, I got to work at the Fat Duck. Um, that was nice. a really cool experience. <laughs> um, and you know, I learned a ton. It 
was very modern. It was uh, groundbreaking at the time. And, and I, I met a lot of people who are very like-minded. And that was, that's one of the things that really drove me as well, too, because meeting a lot of other young chefs that were passionate about what they wanted to do, um, you know, and, and a sh being a chef is very different than a lot of other professions. Whereas, you know, we, we train ourselves for many, many years, but no two people's paths are alike. Um, and I mean, it doesn't follow the same structure where you, uh, you know, take your, your secondary school and then you take like a specialist or like a medical degree or something like that. You know, for us, it's, it's a profession that leads you into places that you never would know. So I didn't get to meet a lot of people like me in my very early years. But once I started to work at like these, uh, you know, world renowned restaurants, I, I saw eye to eye with a lot of these uh, young chefs and it helped me to to feel a bit more comfortable as well. You know, growing up this uh, Jamaican Chinese kid uh, that, you know, doesn't have a huge community or people that they can really relate to, that was a big defining moment for me where I got to find people that thought alike, that acted alike like me. And, and uh, it, it uh, definitely is something that I remember to this day. I, 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 I really sort of, I understand what you're coming from. I actually just listened to a podcast that um, David Chang did with uh, Jonathan Nolan, the, yeah. the film and TV, uh, you know, auteur, creator, director, writer. And they both sort of identified being a chef and also being someone that creates film and TV as sort of like a journeyman profession where yeah. you can go to school, but ultimately you learn as you do, you learn as you work. And he said that maybe the, the feelings about that, especially in the last 10 years, may be changing because everyone wants to be like a celebrity <laughs> immediately when they come out of school. But what I'm sort of getting a sense of from you is that it's really something that not only did you find your community within your profession, but you sort of you know, grew so much in your profession as you traveled around from place to place and learned things from there. Of course. Absolutely. Like it's, I learn every day in, in this profession and that's what keeps me driving. Uh, I'm a, I'm a very classic Sagittarius in the way that my drive to learn is what really propels me. And I don't think I could do a job that, you know, where you could actually master it. For right. me, it's about the journey. It's about knowing that I've found cooking and I can learn something new every single day. And uh, that's what makes me happy. Did you start as a pop-up first? No, we, we did a pop-up for a short while just okay. while we were building out. I see. Uh, but uh, no, we always knew that we wanted to be a restaurant. Okay, so you opened Patois in 2014? Yes. Okay, so, uh, you know, owning, running a restaurant, never easy. You had cooked in other people's kitchens before, and now you've got your own. So what is it that you love about that particular business and about running the business? Uh, I think it's getting gratification from other people's enjoyment um, and seeing the faces of people, like, really enjoy what we're about and enjoy the music, enjoy the food, enjoy the service, enjoy the drinks, like, all of that coming together um, is is a very it's a very difficult thing to achieve and then there's you know the and then there's the management side and balancing the books and it's it's a constant juggling act and it keeps us very very busy but I think at the end of the day just knowing that I found something that I'm I'm, I'm pretty good at and um, 
knowing that it's going to keep me driving and keep me trying to learn more information um, is, is something that really makes me happy about this profession of being a restaurateur. So it seems to be a balance between not only making delicious food, but also creating and curating an experience exactly. for your guests. Would you say that the, the sort of they're equal in weight in terms of what drives you every day or? I think, I think they all take turns being the star um, attraction in my life. You know, there's days that I just want to focus on the food. There's days I just want to focus on the guest experience. There's days that I just want to focus on making a viable business that can uh, help support our life. You know, and uh, it each day it 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 um, each day is different. I, I never liked monotony, and I was always seeking a challenge. Um, and here I found one in spades. <laughs> yeah, I should mention as well that your wife Ivy. Yes. Not only do you, I mean, she's an incredible and accomplished makeup artist uh, in her own right. Uh, you guys have a two-year-old and an eight-month-old. Yes. So you're busy. Uh, but she's also very involved in running Patois as well in the business. So uh, we should say that she's, and especially when you mentioned, you know, the bookkeeping and all that kind of stuff, which yeah. is the part where I go, Ugh. That would be that would be the part where I like, okay, I need someone to help with this. But you know, it, she's really involved in, in you know everything, the social media, the the whole nine yards. So it's really a collective um venture for the two of you. Definitely. And people would be surprised to know how much I know about makeup and hair as well. <laughs> I might not execute it, but I, I know a fair amount about her business too. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because she's incredible and I have been lucky enough to get to work with her before. So I do love that. Um, it hasn't, I mean, owning a restaurant's not always an easy road. And uh, you, with your business, Patois, you've dealt with some interesting set of circumstances, one of them being a fire yes. in the building adjacent to you, which is essentially attached to you because you're in a row of buildings. So can you talk a little bit about sort of how that's affected things for you? Definitely. I'll never forget the date, June 30th, 2016. It's uh, a day that always like lives in my memory. Just when I start to feel like we were getting the hang of our business and starting to, to you know, make some, some, uh, make some headway and, and starting to get a little bit comfortable, you know, life deals you some funny hands. And mm -hmm. I remember it was a very big surprise. You know, our, our next door neighbor, um, committed arson to his place. <gasps> I didn't yeah. know that was it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a thing. Yeah. So I mean, it affected us. It um, we had to gut the entire place. Like seventy-five to eighty percent of our contents went to the trash, and so we basically started brand new. And we had to reopen another restaurant, and uh, we had to to start from scratch. And you know, if it wasn't for our resilience and for the uh, the team that we have, you know, I definitely couldn't be doing this. It's 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 all about the team. It's all about what we do as restaurateurs to support them and, and the, the, the drive that we have sometimes um, even astounds me. It's not, uh, it's said many times, but the restaurant industry is not one for the faint of heart. Of course. And I think resilience is, I mean, that's a, definitely a demonstration. I've sort of watched that rebuilding process that you went through. And yes. I can certainly attest to the fact that your staff are very dedicated. You've had a GM that's been with you for 
a really long time yes. as well. Um, and you have just, just absolutely fantastic staff. So that's a, that's a good thing. And I'm glad you guys are seeing the other side of that let's face it, tragic experience. And it, it, it could have been a lot worse. Definitely. I think that it was given the fact that there are people that live in the vicinity of, of the restaurant as well. So um, I'm glad you guys have been through that process. Thank you. Speaking of having to be resilient and staying on your toes, the other hand that um, we've all been dealt, but certainly the hospitality industry is that, you know, if you went to go, March 2020, it's yeah. going to be uh, something that none of us will ever forget. So the COVID-19 pandemic hit, I mean, it hit the world earlier, but we really started dealing with it here in Canada, in Toronto and Ontario. And we had um, a state of emergency declared yes. mid-March and uh, that has caused, you know, pretty much devastation in the hospitality and the food service industry. Absolutely. Uh, so... Can you tell us about when that happened, when that declaration was made and what you were thinking and feeling? It was every restaurateur's worst nightmare. Um, the, the possibility of us doing business went down to zero and it was taken out of our hands, you know, and, and for every restaurateur, that's our, our biggest nightmare. Um, so like every restaurateur, like we, we had to shut down because we need to do what is safest and uh, you know most uh like i it's the safest and smartest thing to do for our staff and, and we need to make sure that we're protecting our guests and our staff so at around the four week mark i think we started to understand covid19 um a lot better and uh we started to see what people really needed at that time and for us that was heat and serve care packages that was you know love in a box basically or in a bag it's a you know and, and that's what we wanted to describe it as we wanted it to feel like a big warm hug from somebody that you know cares about you and i remember all the times that my grandmother would send us food and and it was like a big package of you don't even know what it is but you know it's going to be delicious and uh, it's going to sustain you for multiple days and it's going to be something that is going to uh, you know provide good sustenance for your family and that's what we want it to be and uh, it's about you know, pivoting as a business and, and being not just resilient, but, you know, being, uh, being flexible and, and giving the market what it needs at that time, uh, providing care for your guests. And even now we are pivoting as well because we start to see that the weather's warming up. You know, people are, are starting to go back to work. Phase two is starting to come out. And uh, we actually had a lot of feedback that people were looking for some smaller meals for summertime. So we started doing bento boxes and uh, ready to eat bento boxes. And it, what shocks me is that people are ordering a bento box to eat right now and ordering care packages to take home as well too. <laughs> Brilliant. It's the, it's the best of both worlds, Craig. And I can certainly attest, I haven't tried the bento boxes yeah. yet, that's the next, but you know, our family, we had one of the, the care packages, the full pack, and I can definitely, it's my, myself, my husband and a five-year-old, but that sustained us for like three meals, three very generous meals, I should say. So uh, we were very happy. Uh, and, and one of the things that I think you've done is, you know, there's, there's no roadmap for this, but I think that with Patois, you have been able to pivot very successfully, 
um, to adapt to the market. And I mean, I feel that, look, none, none of us really wanted to go through this. None of us wanted to adapt and change. But this brings it back to the resilience portion of, of things as well. Because when you're faced with this, you either have to see like, okay, let's go in this direction now. Definitely. Or... I mean, the alternative is to not have a business at all, right? So Absolutely. I'm happy that you have found a way to innovate. Thank you. Um, uh, because it, you know, makes us very happy and we really want to be able to come back to the restaurant when we Thank can, you. but we're glad that you're offering this. So how do you think the industry will, I mean, this is a tough question. Yeah. The, the, do you have any predictions in terms of how the industry will bounce back or change or evolve? There's a, there's a lot. The, the clear thing is that um, no restaurant can sustain itself at 50% capacity, which is one of the guidelines that uh, you know, was put forth to restaurants when they reopen. No restaurant can survive on 50%. Our, the margins in restaurants are razor thin. And, and when I say razor thin, like you would be shocked at... Um, if you put a restaurant's business plan side by side with something like from tech or from, you know, some, some kind of big production kind of business, like you would never choose restaurants. <laughs> People gotcha. don't choose restaurants to make money. People choose to go into restaurants because they care about uh, you know, their, their guests. They care about doing something good and they feel good about it at the end of the day. You know? If, if you want to go into restaurants to be a, a millionaire, you know, you should uh, seriously question yourself. <laughs> um, Good to know. But that being said, you know, I see restaurants as continuing to innovate and find new ways to serve guests in, in, a, in a smart and uh, safe manner. Every restaurateur that I know, every quality restaurateur that I know is um, doing it for the right reasons and they actually want to make people very happy so, um, you know, it's going to be the toughest thing to see some of them uh, bow out and some of them close their places. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that the majority of us can survive. I do, too. Um, and it's, it's, it is hard to say, you know, what do we do with all these spaces, all these beautiful spaces that we are used? I mean, I am certainly one of the people that I'm really looking forward of the time and that we can go back inside a restaurant but you're right 50 percent capacity that's like asking any other business to survive with 50 percent of their profit uh and still execute the same level of quality that's exactly is, it how do you do it that's exactly it because yeah. for instance we can't just cut down by labor by 50 percent my rent is staying exactly the same you know our costs for 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 food are exactly the same. It's not like we can say to our suppliers, "Hey, I'm only going to pay you fifty percent." Right. It doesn't so work the, like that. The burden is being passed on to you to figure it out. It feels like, and that's difficult. Um, so so there are this. You've actually highlighted one of the sort of systemic issues in hospitality that we hear about so often, and that is uh, you know minimal profit margins. Uh, you know pay for workers. Uh, you know, burnout in this industry. I can relate. In my industry, there's a lot of burnout as well in, in TV and certainly in news. So are there any particular changes that you would like to see happen regardless or because of COVID-19? Is there anything that you'd like addressed? I think um, 
overall, you know, restaurants all, always try their best and we're never perfect. We always try to strive to be perfect. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're human beings as well. I think we found that a lot of our, our, our guests are just appreciative that we've opened the doors and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of understanding and there's a lot of um, hiccups when we're starting to do something brand new and especially right at the beginning. Um, and I think people have been very understanding about that just because of the challenges that we're all going through. Um, if, if that's something that can continue, you know, like that to me, just under recognizing that, uh, you know, we're, we're all human. We're all prone oh, to mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would, I I'm with you on that. I think if there's anything we can learn out of the last few months, it's to have more compassion and yeah. more empathy uh, and like Yelpers, calm down, calm down people. <laughs> you don't have robots serving. I mean, if they want robots serving them and making their food. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants a good hospitality experience, but some people, I get you. So I think that's a great lesson that we can take forward. Um, and I would love to see the burden not being entirely shouldered by the restaurant owners. You know, the, the, there's a, like you said, you mentioned there's landlords, there's, there's food costs, there's all these things. And, and my hope would be that we can find a solution to Absolutely. make, because, you know, I've, I've, I always feel like not restaurants, are what make our neighborhoods what they are. I wanted to give you a second to remind us of your address and web address and how do sure. people find you and enjoy your food right now. Come check us out at Patois, Toronto. We're 794 Dundas Street West, just west of Bloor, sorry, Bloor, Bathurst and Dundas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking too much of the, the things I need to do today. That's okay, I'm with you. We do Caribbean Asian soul food. It's really tasty, come check us out. It is really tasty. I can, I mean, you know what? I'm like, now I'm already thinking about it again. So please do. Craig, thank you so much. We know how busy you are. So thank you so much uh, for taking the time to out. talk. Yeah, absolutely. And we hope we see you sooner rather than later. Thank you so much, Michelle. Take Thanks, care. Craig. Bye. All right, that's it for the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back again soon with another incredible guest to talk about delicious things. But until then, you can reach us at breakingbreadtalkingfood at gmail.com. See you again real soon.